Before we get started, today's episode is brought to you by We Believers. That's W-E-E as in tiny. Visit webelievers.com for fun and faith-filled toys for your little ones. This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 51. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a mom. I'm Amber O'Hearn, and this is part two of our series on Humana Vitae. In today's episode, I'm chatting with fertility care practitioner, Nicole Joyce. We chat about natural family planning, infertility, and pregnancy and infant loss. For bonus episodes with Nicole and other past guests, visit patreon.com slash diapers and disciples. Thanks for listening in today. Here's my chat with Nicole. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. I first have to give a shout out to Julie, who is a listener of the show. And she's the one that put me in contact with you. And she's also the one that was just in tune with the promptings of the Holy Spirit and got the ball rolling with the series on Humana Vitae because she's the one that suggested the topic. And um, I'm so happy that she suggested it and put me in contact with you. And I know it's been a totally crazy month for you because it's yes. a Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, which I know is near and dear to the hearts of a lot of listeners as well. And um, you have a Humana Vitae conference happening tomorrow, (laughs) October 20th in Detroit. So that's crazy. (laughs) It's Yeah, it's been a little hectic. (laughs) Right. Well, thank you for taking the time. I so appreciate it. Um, Something I forgot to mention in our Humana Vitae intro episode last week is that this year is actually the 50th anniversary of – St. Pope Paul V, sixth encyclical. So that is just fun timing as well. <laughs> Good timing to do the series. So, <laughs> um, so Nicole, can you start off and just tell us a little bit about you and about your family? Yeah, sure. Um, I've been married to my husband who actually I met in high school. Um, so I've been married to Russell for 14 years and we have four children my oldest is uh, 11, and he is on the autism spectrum. He's pretty high-functioning. He's, you know, the usual tween. He's learned sarcasm <laughs> recently, which <laughs> is exciting when you have a kid on the spectrum, but also a little frustrating because he's, you know, still approaching teenagerhood, and it's going to be difficult. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, I have an almost nine-year-old bookworm, Ryan, uh, a seven-year-old, who was a little bit of a surprise, you know, one of those, we're not really using NFP, but we're not not trying babies. Uh, And he's just a rough and tough boy. He is, he does everything cranked up to 11, dialed up to 10. And then our youngest is a little girl, Angelina, and she is four, newly four on Monday. And she's our, you know, sassy girly one who loves pink and glitter and unicorns. (laughs) And we also have four uh, little saints praying for us as well. Oh, wonderful. That's great. Yeah. I have a a four-year-old daughter as well and um, a two-year-old son. And and then we've had two miscarriages. So the the four-year-old daughter, it's it's such a fun, fun age. The age that my kids are at right now are where they're really starting to actually play a lot better together. (laughs) And um, it's freed me up. Um, 
so much. Like I have, I have more time than I expected that I'd have, that I've been used to having. Um, we're we're pregnant with another one now, and it feels like the right timing to like have yeah. another baby because it's like, wow, I'm able to get stuff done. Yeah, <laughs> they're playing no, together I- and. And girls are so good about keeping themselves busy and just wanting to do what moms do. So they're so helpful. And um, it just, it, it amazes me every day how quiet she is. I can take her with me to meetings and things and she just sits and she's so, wow. she's so happy just to be there. Um, I think without her presence, the boys just instantly get rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You know, like they, she goes to the grocery store with my husband or she goes to visit with my parents and I can just tell that the house just gets louder. <laughs> Oh, funny. Oh, that's great. Um, so Nicole, what comes to mind when you think about how you personally live out the Great Commission as a mom? I try um, because my personality type is not uh, a naturally motherly type of personality, which might be surprising to some, but is not surprising to my children. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, but I try to remember always that the kingdom belongs to the little ones such as these, right? Mm. And so um, I love working and I worked in retail for a very long time. I was in management. Um, When I was little, my dad always used to joke and say, oh, she's going to be someone's boss someday (laughs) because she's just so good at telling people what to do. Um, So it was a big adjustment for me to be a parent and and only recently, probably just within the last four or five years, be um, <clears throat> home the majority of the time with my kids. So I try to keep that those words of Jesus in in my heart and on my mind all the time because I I make a conscious effort to put my family first. You know, we are the domestic church. And so raising my children in the faith has to remain my most important work. And so I get asked a lot why I'm not growing my fertility care center, why I haven't written a book, why I'm not teaching theology full-time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the answer is always that, you know, I need to raise my family first. They are my most important work and mm-hmm. they will always be priority number one. So I think that's um, that's at the heart of really living out that great commission because if I'm going to make disciples, I need to start with the ones in my own house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. Um, so could you walk us through a, a typical day for you um, with with your work, with Morningstar Fertility Care, but also just, you know, if you're home, I don't know if you're home more or work more, but I'd love to hear just typically what your days look like. Sure. So I uh, I work as a fertility care practitioner teaching the Creighton model of, of natural family planning, and that is something I do out of our home. But I completed my Master of Arts in Pastoral Studies at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit a few years ago. Uh, And I have a concentration in the new evangelization. So I get asked a lot, very frequently, to help with different forms of marriage prep, theology of the body instruction. I do some uh, presentations for the seminarians during their formation period to help them learn more about not just natural family planning, but ministering to families. Oh, neat. So it's kind of sometimes it feels like three jobs in one. Yeah, you know, there's like the theology side, and there's the NFP side, um, and then there's the mom side. But I run everything out of my house, which has really been a blessing for us. Because, like I said, I was in retail for so long, and working there, you know, fifty to sixty hours a week until our our third was about six months old when I was able to cut back there. So uh, most days during the school year, I get up early with the kids, I get everybody dressed, and we all go to school. 
the little one, she goes to school um, just two mornings a week in preschool in the same building as the as the other two boys. And then I have a middle schooler as well. So we have two school drop-offs, plus I have to walk one into the building for preschool. And that starts at 7.45. I drop off the oldest, and we drop off the other ones at 8.30. And then I usually, luckily, hopefully, can get home by 9. Mm-hmm. Um, and between 9 and 11.30, I can get in at least one appointment with a woman or a couple learning NFP. If um, if my daughter's home with me, then I can get in some playtime with her and then work on some paperwork or prepare for a lecture or presentation. And then after lunch when she can take a nap is usually when I either get some housework done, um, some more paperwork, or if I'm really lucky, I can do a little bit of sewing, which is another kind of side hobby that I really enjoy as well. Oh, great. And then as soon as she wakes up, we are back in the car with snacks to do school pickup rounds, which takes another <laughs> half hour to 45 minutes to get everybody back in the car. And then we come home, we have homework time. Um, everybody reads, the little ones get a story from me, and then they can play outside until dinner's ready. We're really, really lucky that my husband has a job where he's home every night for dinner and he's home on weekends and holidays. So dinner um, as a family is a really sacred time. Everyone sits down, everyone prays, and we all enjoy dinner together. Mm-hmm. Two nights a week, I leave after dinner, and my husband is in charge of cleaning up dinner and putting the kids to bed, and I meet with couples again. Okay. Um, usually, I can squeeze in one appointment before bedtime. And then on Mondays, we all, as a family, all six of us, pile into the car and go to faith formation at our home parish where I teach sixth grade catechism. And my husband is sort of a hall monitor slash door security guard to make sure that no children are trying to escape the building. Okay. (laughs) So that's pretty much our week in a nutshell. It usually looks something like that. Right. Wow. So um, how long have you been a, a fertility care practitioner for? Um, I've been teaching. I started my internship with the Pope Paul the Sixth Institute in 2014, January 2014. Okay. And you, um, when you do that, you go for a week and you start your training, and then you come back and you immediately start teaching, wow. even through your internship phase. So um, it's been a little over four years, almost five years now. Wow. Okay. And have you always used and taught the Creighton model of natural family planning? No, you know, actually my husband and I started after my third son was born. So we didn't use any NFP um, or any contraceptives after my oldest was born. And we had our son, our second son. And then right before I got pregnant with our third son, I was like, you know, we should probably make a decision about this. Like maybe I'll take an NFP class. I'll get around to that later. (laughs) And uh, famous last words, right? And so I had just started taking graduate classes at the seminary. And a week into class, I started feeling really sick, and I thought I had the flu, mm-hmm. and I didn't. I had Sean, and um, <laughs> after he was born, we were like, okay, so we had to trade in our SUV for a minivan. <laughs> we had to put two toddlers in one room together to make room for a baby, and we were like, mm-hmm. okay, we really got to get this under control. So we actually went and learned the Billings Ovulation Method through oh, okay. our archdiocese in Detroit, and about six or eight months into using that method, I started feeling really horrible. Um, My hair was falling out. I had acne. I was gaining weight. And I felt like I was um, having PMS symptoms like every day, not just as approaching my period. So I called my instructor and I was like, Dorothy, you know, I just feel terrible. Like what is going on with this? And I sent her my chart and she said, you know, I think you might have a progesterone deficiency. And if you go to your doctor, she's going to tell you that you should take the pill. 
But if you want to um, look into a napro doctor to treat you for this, I think that would really be your best bet to be able to avoid hormonal contraceptives. So I very begrudgingly scheduled a babysitter on a Saturday morning, and my husband and I drove to Dearborn, which is about an hour from our house, to learn the Creighton model so that we could pursue NAPRO technology treatment. And thankfully, I was able to be treated by a NAPRO doctor. Um, and by the by the end of our first presentation with our new instructor, we were sold. We were like, this is it. This is the method that we're going to use until menopause, and this is the method that we want to support going forward. Um, Probably about six months after that, I was already applying to an education program. I knew that it was something that I wanted to pursue. Wow. Okay. So um, what is the the main difference, would you say, between um, like the Creighton model and the Billings ovulation method? And if I could throw another one out there, like symptothermal, because oh, I think sure. we hear them like kind of tossed around and I know, you know, people, you know, practice different forms of NFP. I was wondering if maybe you could just give us kind of a... You know, what's the, what are the key differences between those? Sure. Um, the, I think the biggest classifier, the way we kind of categorize different methods of NFP is all in which symptoms we're observing and how we interpret them. Okay. So the symptothermal method, a lot of people learn that through the couple-to-couple league, for example. Right. The couple-to-couple league is one of the most common or most well-known versions of the symptothermal method, and that's going to use symptoms like cervical mucus, cervical positioning, to kind of identify the beginning of a woman's fertility, but then the ovulation itself is confirmed using that method with the woman's basal body temperature. Okay. So she'll use um, a, a specific kind of thermometer that measures her temperature up to the one one hundredth of a degree to confirm that ovulation has already passed. Wow. Okay. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you take if someone's doing this method, they'll take the temp- their temperature like the same time, like every morning or something like that. They get up at the same time every morning. Is that right? Right. Traditionally, they're going to want to take it within the same kind of window of time and after at least a significant amount of sleep so they know that their their body temperature is kind of regulated by that point. Okay. And then the idea behind that is when you see a fluctuation in the temperature, that is an indication of when you have ovulated? Yep. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, And then the uh, Billings ovulation method... Oh, okay. So the Billings ovulation method and Creighton model are actually very similar. Oh, okay. They both observe uh, a woman's cervical mucus, just like um, what she observes when she goes to the bathroom or as she's walking around throughout the day. The Billings method is a little bit more inclusive. It will include things like just walking around the day. Did I feel wet or dry today? Did I notice any sensation just like doing what I normally do throughout the day, as well as anything they might notice when they go to the bathroom or something like that? I see. Okay. The Creighton model is going to be a little bit more objective. It's a more standardized way to observe cervical mucus. The woman is going to observe on the toilet paper just when she wipes before she goes to the bathroom. And she classifies it very specifically. What color was it? How much did it stretch? Did it feel lubricative when she wiped? So there's a lot more detail and a little bit more um, objective observation there. And the reasoning behind that is because the Creighton model is linked to the medical application of NAPRO technology. Okay. Okay, great. So my husband and I, well, I don't know if we can say that we we started out using the the Creighton model of natural family planning. We're no longer meeting with our um, practitioner, but we kind of follow the same 
the sure. same deal. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. If, I guess we're kind of using it, but we're not using right. um, like our charts and things like that. We're meeting with anyone, but um, yeah, we've, we've really enjoyed using that and love the communication that goes along with natural family planning as well, where you and your husband are, you know, needing to talk about, <laughs> you know, where you're at in your cycle and what our plans are for, for our family growth. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a big fan of NFP. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's, um, that's really actually the heart of what I'm talking about tomorrow at the Humana Vitae conference is that there's so much more involved in using NFP than just, am I fertile or am I not fertile? You know, mm-hmm. that communication has to be at the heart of, of any couple deciding to use any method. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I love that. So when did you become familiar with Humana Vitae? And is it something that you have kind of always been passionate about? Um, I I mean, we always knew what the church taught. Uh, I was raised Catholic, so I always knew what the church taught, but I didn't really have a deep understanding of why or what that was all about. So I actually first read the encyclical when I was in graduate school at the seminary. Um, My husband and I had agreed together after our oldest was born, that we didn't want to be using hormonal contraceptives. Um, but And my husband wasn't even Catholic at the time, mm, okay. but he still went to Mass with us every week. You know, We were obviously raising our children in the faith. So when I started graduate school, right before we found out we were pregnant with my third son, um, we were already starting to look for different methods of NFP and things like that. But my one of my first theology and research cl- uh, courses there um, required that we read uh, and do some research on an area of church teaching and write about it. So Humana Vitae seemed like a perfect fit because we were right kind of in that phase of life, trying to identify how we were going to use NFP going forward. And I remember reading through it for the first time. I had just printed it out from the Vatican website, which, as you know, is really difficult to read. Yes. (laughs) So (laughs) I had just printed it out and I was sitting in our bedroom reading it and all the boys were in bed. And I remember calling to my husband down the hallway like, Russ, you need to get in here and read this. Um, I was so struck by Paul VI's predictions um, and how many of them had been realized Mm. already in, in such profound ways. Because you have to remember at this point, I think this was 2000. 11, early 2012, the HHS contraception mandate was the big news at the mm. moment. You know, and and Paul the Six words just felt so powerful and committed to proclaiming the truth in the face of opposition. Mm. You know, in the same right. way that we were all being asked to defend our religious liberties in the face of all of these, you know, modern fallacies. So we had already embraced a lot of the truth of married love without even realizing it, but reading Humanae Vitae really helped us understand that there was so much more to it than, you know, what a lot of people seem to think that, which is, oh yeah, the Catholics, they just need to have all these babies. <laughs> we just, we were able to embrace so much more of that and share our experience and our desire to live out our vocation with, with a, a much bigger vocabulary after we had read the document. Hmm. And um, after you had had read the document, did you feel like, wow, this is going to be so instrumental in my work and in my life going forward? Or um, at that point, were you already a fertility care practitioner or you had? No, I wasn't actually. So I had just started the seminary. And actually, when I started there, I didn't really know what I was doing there. It was kind of one of those things where the Holy Spirit was like, you should do this. (laughs) And I'm not going to tell you why yet. But if you trust me, it will all come together. And I was like, okay. So I wasn't totally sure what I was looking for. Um, but after writing my paper on Humana Vitae, after learning to use NFP ourselves, 
we we knew as a couple that it was something that we really wanted to support in whatever we did. And so after um, after my son was born was when I really started exploring you know, how I could contribute to teaching NFP. And then of course, after we learned the Creighton model, it all kind of started converging before my eyes. Right. Um, and it wasn't just that we wanted, or I wanted even to just start walking up to people and tell them, you know, you should stop contracepting. We, we had seen and experienced in our own relationship, how fruitful marriage could really be when we worked together to learn a method, when we were talking, praying, discerning our family size, you know, cycle by cycle or even day by day sometimes. And then especially that struggle of um, how to chart during difficult phases. I mean, I'm sure you have plenty of listeners who've experienced postpartum NFP charting and have not enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, we really wanted to give couples an opportunity to experience the joy and the gifts and the grace that we were already living as a result of of understanding and, and embracing the teaching from Humana Vitae. Hi friends, just wanted to take a quick break to tell you about today's sponsor, We Believers. We Believers is helping you guide your little ones along their faith journey through wholesome, high-quality toys to inspire, educate, and spark faith in your children. With Advent coming up in a little over a month, be sure to check out their Pop-Out Nativity, Advent Magi Ornament Sewing Kit, Advent Calendar Clings, and more. And if you want to complete some early Christmas shopping, The Little Church Magnet Playset allows your child to discover what goes where at church, down to the smallest magnets, a chalice, patent and hosts, lectionary, and more. They have sketchbooks and journals for the older kids in your life, pop-out mask kits, vocation dolls, and plush prayer buddies. For 20% off your first order, sign up for the email club at webelievers.com. I would love to ask you a little bit more about um, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. And um, with your work with Morningstar Fertility Care, what do you do kind of to to share that message with people? And um, what kind of things do you have going on this month to, um, to support people who are maybe in that place where they've lost a baby? Most people who've used the Creighton model know that we, we are known for our work in helping couples who struggle with infertility. Um, miscarriage and pregnancy loss to help them achieve and support high-risk pregnancies. So um, a a number of the couples I've worked with have sadly experienced loss either before they come to me, and some of them obviously experience loss while they're working with me as well. So um, from a one-on-one perspective, my job is always just to be there as a comfort to offer them support, validation, um, obviously give referrals when they need help that's above my pay grade. And also to kind of connect them with other people um, where they can feel that they're not alone, mm. which I think is the most difficult part of, of loss at any, at any stage of pregnancy uh, or infant loss is that we, we really end up feeling like there's just no one to talk to about it and nobody wants to talk about it, but we want to talk about it. Or in some cases, other people want to talk about it and we don't want to talk about it. So trying to identify where an individual is in their grief And then matching them with the right support is really something that I personally feel more comfortable doing on an individual basis. Sure. And that could be because, you know, I'm a little introverted. I don't actually like talking to a lot of people unless I have to. (laughs) Um, But but I think the more uh, the word gets out and, man, did it happen fast, um, the more people hear about 
what I do and they reach out to me, which has been amazing. I remember going through the training and the practitioner who taught us how to use the method was like, listen, you're going to want to advertise when you get trained. Don't do that because then you're going to have more people than you can accommodate. Wow. You will have more people than hours in the day. And I thought she was crazy, but you know, I listened. I was like, okay, that's fine. And and it's it's absolutely true. I don't do any marketing. I don't um, pay for Facebook book, Facebook ads or take out ads in my church paper. People just find us through word of mouth. And, you know, through wonderful people like Julie who say, hey, do you know, Nicole, you need to talk to her about X, Y, or Z because she has totally had other people come through her program who are experiencing something very similar. And I'm sure she has something that she can share with you. And it's just been such a blessing to hear everybody's stories and be able to share that with them and pray with them. Um, I'm I'm so thankful for that. Mm, That's so beautiful. I I imagine that's such an such an intimate job you're in. I mean, you're a part of um, a couple's, you know, life just so intimately, um, you know, discussing with them, you know, their, their family and their marriage. And I just, I just imagine that that's such a, um, such a gift and a blessing to be, to be so connected um, in such an intimate part of people's lives. It is. And I've made a lot of wonderful friends that way too. You know, some of them kind of cross over that boundary from being your student or your client to being your friend. And then you're able to continue that relationship um, on a friendship level, even long after they're done charting and, mm-hmm. um, and be able to share, you know, as they raise their family and you raise yours. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Mm, that is beautiful. I love that. Um, how many couples or moms do you typically see um, like at the same time, do you have a certain amount of couples that you are like working with right now? Um, I probably have about 10 couples who are in what I call active long-term follow-up. Okay. So that means they've already been to all of the upfront, really close together lessons where they've, they're just getting started and learning how to chart. And they only see me maybe two to three times a year if they have questions, if they need a new chart or new supplies, or if they get pregnant, things like that. Um, And then I have probably another 10 to 15 who are still either in the learning phase, they're just getting started, or they've just recently changed their what we call reproductive category. So like they just had a baby, for example. So they were using the method for a long time and and they were in long-term follow-up. But now that they've had a baby, we're walking the postpartum journey together. And that's the time when I really become your best friend. So (laughs) so I see them a lot more often and it's a little bit more labor intensive for us. Um, But usually I can accommodate up to five individual appointments a week. Um, and they usually last about an hour to an hour and a half. And then, of course, there's paperwork and stuff that I do at home. But um, I'd say, yeah, maybe five, sometimes six couples a week I'll see one-on-one. And then how frequently I see them really depends on where they are in their learning and what they need. Okay, that makes sense. Um, I would love to ask you a little bit more about the postpartum um area sure. of NFP <laughs> because I do know that is like that I mean that has been a struggle for us because it can be kind of confusing and I'm sure for a lot of listeners you know that's kind of a, a confusing time does the, the basic charting for um, 
Creighton model change significantly when you're in a time of postpartum? It really varies from woman to woman. Um, For some women, the chart will basically look like one really long pre-ovulatory phase or pre-peak phase. She'll just kind of have a lot of dry days and maybe a few um, patches where she'll think maybe fertility is coming back, maybe not, and then it'll kind of go back to the status quo until we get closer to her cycles returning. Other women right out of the gate by four, six, eight weeks postpartum are coming to their follow-up really upset. I see mucus every day. I don't know what's going on. I can't take my temperature because I'm not sleeping well. And I, I, you know, I just, I just need to learn something that works for right now because it's very stressful. So um, it, it, it's kind of varied. I would say it's probably half and half. About half of my couples come in and they, their pre, uh, postpartum phase is very easy for them. It's very simple, very straightforward. Um, and then the other half, it can be a little bit of a challenge at the beginning. And then once we get a handle on it, they feel that much more confident you know, going toward the return of their cycle. Mm. So do you, do you typically recommend for someone who's listening right now, who's in that postpartum like phase where maybe they have mucus all the time or they're just confused, yeah. do you think like meeting with a fertility care practitioner is like the way to go <laughs> to just clear things up and help you get on track? I do. I think it's really helpful to just start getting that information on paper. You know, we're all about data. We need more information. Um, all the methods out there, at, at least most of them, are going to rely somewhat on some of your history, your cycle history. You know, so some versions of the central thermal method will even take an algorithm of when the earliest day you saw mucus was and kind of identify that that's the earliest day fertility could begin for you, things like that. Oh, interesting, yeah. So um, what we do is we want to look at, okay, well, what does the mucus look like every day you see it? And a lot of times women will come in and she's, she's already aware. She can name it. I have one, she's adorable. She had a baby and she came in and I said, so what is this mucus looking like that you're seeing every day? She's like, it's like Seattle, you know, it's cloudy. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, oh, okay. Like it Funny. just feels, you know, overcast and cloudy. And I said, okay, this is really good. This is, this is really good. Like you know what that looks like. You know what Seattle looks like when you see it, right? So now the question is, when do you not see it? When do you wake up and you're like, whoa, this is not Seattle mm. anymore? Um, and that's when we are able to identify this is a change in your normal everyday observation. This is when we're going to consider that this day could be potentially fertile. Mm. Okay. That's great. Um, so I have a feeling people are some people who are listening now are maybe in a stage where um, they either are um, having trouble getting pregnant or struggling with like you know infertility or secondary infertility or um, just yeah are, are in a place where they're like not sure you know where to go from here. Do you have any recommendations for people who who are in that place with um, like discerning what kind of NFP to use or maybe like resources where you would want to point them to? Sure. Um, I think the Creighton model is a great place to start with that if you have access to a NAPRO technology doctor, and we do have plenty of those around the United States now. You can find more information about that at fertilitycare.org. Um, you can find a doctor on there. You can find an instructor on there. You can find all of the statistics and information about how the method works as well. Um, and, and I think the, the biggest thing for people to know 
and it's almost kind of sad how many people don't know this, is that infertility is not a disease by itself. It's the symptom of something else. And and the goal of nephrotechnology isn't just to sort of bypass or circumvent your reproductive system and use something like in vitro fertilization. The goal is to restore your health, mm. you know, and that's where Catholic teaching really comes in because as a woman, you're made in the likeness and image of God and mm. you have a right, your human dignity demands that you receive health care that restores your health and cares for you as a whole person, not just you know, kind of working a side route so that you can have a baby and then we'll just leave you unhealthy after that's all over, right? So um, looking for those underlying conditions, things like hormone imbalance, things like uh, endometrial infections, things like polycystic ovaries, endometriosis, those are all buzzword infertility um, diagnoses that we kind of tend to overlook or ignore in the broader medical community. Um, those are all things that NAPRO really wants to treat at the root. So I, I love that as a first source. But I, additionally – oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say I love that so much because I, um, I've i struggled with uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. And it took me – I think I saw maybe seven doctors before I was able to see someone who didn't want to just prescribe me the pill and who was willing to figure out kind of the root cause. Um, so I just, I just really love that, that you said that. Like it's a – the infertility is a symptom of something else and we want to restore you you know you to full health instead of just putting a band-aid on something. Yeah, so. I mean and and with polycystic ovarian syndrome in particular, it's such a spectrum. You know, we do have a lot of women who have PCOS and have 5 10 babies with no problem. And then we have others who are never able to conceive. It just it can have its effect in so many different ways and as you know, it can take a really long time to get diagnosed. So, being able to have a woman even just feel better, even if her goal is not to have a baby, um, to have her feel better is so, so, so important. And, and to be able to do it without, without the risks that come with something like the pill is, is really important as well. Hmm. That's neat. I love that. But I was going to tell you that the, the other difficulty with infertility, um, with pregnancy loss in particular, that a lot of people don't give enough time or consideration to is the emotional impact that it can have on you, on you as a, as a woman, and then also on you, you as a couple, you and your husband. And there's a, a wonderful program that's out right now called Organic Conceptions. Oh, I haven't heard of it. It's, it was um, developed by a couple. Um, and it's, it's kind of like a, like a self-guided retreat almost. And you can do it at your own pace. I believe there are some videos and then there's like a workbook that you can order and you can work through it together at your own pace. But the idea is really to get you and your spouse um, working together, talking together, communicating about how you're feeling, how you're struggling. It's it's received you know amazing reviews from everybody in the fertility care practitioner community thus far. And I think it's a great option for people who are kind of coming to this realization that we're in this for the long haul and infertility is just going to be part of, you know, the way we're living this vocation at this phase in our life and to feel like they're not alone. Mm. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad you mentioned that. I hadn't even heard of it. You said it was, it's relatively new. It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's neat. I'll definitely put the links um, to all oh, this perfect. in the show notes as well. So great. Um, so Nicole, how have you seen the Lord at work in your life the last year? 
Oh, he just shows me over and over again how faithful he really is, you know, and how important it is that we trust in his plan for us. I've been talking with my husband for about a year now about how much I'd like my work to get a little bit more onto the theology side of NFP and family ministry, um, as opposed to just limiting my work in the practical application. Now, I, of course, can't cut back on my practical application work because I love the people I work with. But um, I wasn't really sure how that was going to balance out with my commitment to being home for the kids. And and I don't really feel like I can give enough to my family if I take on like a a regular full-time job teaching theology or something like that, or even starting something like you do, like a podcast. That's just a time commitment that I I don't want to have to sacrifice the time with my children or with the couples I work with to be able to do that. But I love to talk shop, you know, talk about theology in a number of different areas. Um, So I wasn't sure how I could come into an opportunity to really embrace that side of my interests when I got a phone call from our new director of religious education at our parish. And she asked me if I would volunteer with the family life ministry and the education commission there. And then I got a call about teaching some formation classes for the seminarians um, I took on a role as a catechist this fall for the sixth graders at, at the parish. And so little by little, um, I've been invited to expand my work a little bit and explore some different opportunities. And I really trust that when the time is right, he's going to guide me to where I need to be. But I'm just so thankful with how faithful he is that if you wait, you know, the answer is, isn't necessarily no sometimes. Sometimes it's just wait. Mm. And I'm I'm just so thankful that the waiting has really shown some fruit recently because I was like, Lord, how long am I going to be waiting for this? <laughs> I mean, I will wait as long as you want me to, but I'm, I'm getting a little tired. If you could just give me a little extra grace here, I, I can keep waiting. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to show you how this is going to play out for you. Mm-hmm. So I was really thankful for that. I love that. And I love when it's something maybe not quite like we expected, but it's like, wow, this is you know, maybe even better than what I was praying for. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. like, wow, this is even more than I ever thought that I would be asking for. So yeah, it's really exciting. That's neat. I think it's really neat that you um, teach the seminarians as well. I think that's such a, a great um, great ministry and uh, a position to have. I, I wondered about that sometimes, what kind of formation the seminarians and priests get in, um, yeah, in terms of natural family planning and it's it's just a, an incredibly unique um, and kind of exciting experience. I think I enjoy it the most because I am a mom of three boys, mm. and so I'm just so used to it already right. um, that it it's kind of a natural fit for me. But I took classes there for so long as well that in the beginning when I was first invited to teach there, I knew a lot of the seminarians already. I had actually been in some theology classes with them when they were very new little baby seminarians. Right. Wow. <laughs> and now they're getting ready to get ordained and they're like, oh my gosh, it's Nicole. I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> That's um, But they, it's just, it's almost kind of like a mom moment. You know, you watch them kind of grow from these little tiny brand new seminarians into like giving homilies and baptizing babies. And you're just, you're so proud to be, to have been able to witness that growth in them and to even have been able to contribute just this little tiny nugget of information for them. Right. Um, And it's my favorite. It's always a good day when I get an email or a text or a phone call from a former seminarian and they're at their parish and they're like, Nicole, 
you got to help me. I got this couple and they have this question and I know that you can help me find the right resource for that. Right. And it's just, it just makes my day. I just mm. love that. It's, it's so rewarding. That's awesome. That's really, really neat. Um, and what would you say is your favorite part of your home and why? Mm, I'm going to have to say the kitchen table. Um, growing up, my parents were the same way. My mom is one of eight and my dad is one of 11. And when family gets together, they hang out at the kitchen table. Yeah. <laughs> all of our, all our important work happens at the table. You know, we do homework there. I do my work because frankly, my desk is too crowded for me to actually do any work on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, you know, we, we pray at the table, especially before dinner. So uh, Prayer before dinner is our most important prayer time as a family. We offer up all of our intentions before we eat as well. Oh wow! That's um, and we we've kind of been practicing this idea of um, like a scruffy hospitality for the past few years, mm-hmm. and that usually looks like my door is always open even if my house isn't clean. Yeah. Um, and so for the most part, that's people popping over with little or no advance notice, and sitting at the kitchen table for coffee or tea, and it's. In our, in our house now, we've been here about five years, um, our kitchen is right in the middle between the living room and the family room. So I can see pretty much the whole of the living space from the kitchen table, which is really nice too. So it's a perfect place to work, rest, pray, relax, That's and just neat. kind of be, yeah. I love that. Did your um, prayer before meals, has that kind of evolved or did you grow up like doing intentions before dinner? I think that's so neat that that's when you would offer, you know, offer those as a family is at, at the dinner table. Yeah. No, I, I did not grow up with that. My mom is, um, my parents both actually were kind of like a pray as you go kind of people. And so that was my spirituality for the longest time as well. And I, and I think in a lot of ways it still is. I remember even as a very, very small child being told you can pray anywhere you are and it doesn't have to be out loud and it doesn't even have to be with words. And so, you know, I've tried to instill that in my children as well, but in terms of really explicit prayer, you know, something scary happened at school or someone is sick or someone we know lost a grandparent, those things um, have started being brought to the dinner table. I would say maybe like the last five or six years since we've been consistently able to sit down at the dinner table together every single meal. You know, when my husband and I were both in retail, it was like we were lucky if one parent was home for dinner, let alone two. Um, so we have really, and now the kids are older too. So I have a middle schooler and I have two in elementary who are wanting to participate in all kinds of extracurricular activities. So we really, um, we really stress, like, we're not going to do a hundred different sports and we're not going to join any club that's going to take us out of faith formation classes at church. And we're not going to play any games that happen on Sundays. And, and the other big one is we're, we're all going to sit down and eat dinner together. (laughs) And so since that's the priority, that's the perfect time to get all the prayers in because sometimes bedtime is staggered. Sometimes bedtime is crazy, as you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, if you've ever tried to put a toddler to bed in their own bed (laughs) after they've been (laughs) sick for a week, it's like, this is not, bedtime prayers are not going to be as fruitful as if Mm -hmm. we can all sit down and everyone's hungry. So everyone's paying attention. Yeah. That's so it great. has. It's evolved a little bit at a time, and it's worked out really well for us. That's really neat. I, I've never heard that done before, and I just – yeah, I think that's a great time to do it for for a family, especially with uh, with little ones. That's really neat. I love that. Thanks. Um, and what have you been loving recently? 
I have been loving returning to leisurely reading. Oh, am, nice. You know, I, I did grad school for almost six years and all I was reading then was theology and philosophy. Mm. But uh, my undergraduate degree was actually in English and literature. And oh, I used okay. to love to read novels and poetry and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then my second son was born and he was very colicky. And a total lack of sleep robbed me of the ability to read a book without falling asleep as well. (laughs) (laughs) So um, after graduate school and I started teaching NFP, um, I was kind of getting settled into our routine. Our kids all had a nice daily routine. I made a resolution in January to spend more time reading fiction and less time on social media. So I set a goal to read one book a month. So that I would try to finish 12 books by the end of 2012. I was trying to have like really low expectations because I don't know if I would still fall asleep (laughs) while reading. Um, But now we're into October and I think I read like 35 or 36 books. I'm pretty proud of myself. I'm like, wow, this is really awesome. Um, But I track my books and I get recommendations from Goodreads. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're kind of like Facebook for bookworms. Okay, neat. And I love taking that little bit of time to myself each day, you know, to read and not be sucked into the world of the internet and, you know, kind of just enrich my mind and think about deeper storylines, looking for different underlying messages. It's just a really great time to kind of get lost in something totally different and and exposed to some more culture too, I think. That's neat. I really love that. I um I recently reading more books has kind of been a goal of mine um as well the last few years and I've been trying to do a book a month as well. I felt good, like oh yeah. that's a good goal for a mom. It um, is. Yeah, and I I just got this uh I just ordered this uh, book log. It was like $6 on Amazon or something. And it has it's where you write down um the book you read, like the time frame you read it and just jot a few notes about it so that oh, you yeah. can kind of, you know, remember it and um I, I really love that because I tend to read a book and then I remember that I liked it, but I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> and so someone's like, oh, what do you recommend? And then they say, what's it about? And I'm like, oh, I kind of forget actually, yeah. but I remember really liking it. Oh so, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. I've totally done that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's been helpful. I've been writing the last couple of books I've read uh, down in that little log. So I, so I remember what I've read and what I liked about it. That's uh, a great – that's a really great idea. I should get one of those for my mom because she is also a bookworm. And more than once, she's gone to the library, come home, sat down to read a book, and gotten three chapters in and said, I think I've already read this before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's so funny. I love it. Yeah, I think she'd love something like this. Yes. That's neat. <laughs> um, so are you reading any bo- good books right now or have you read any recently that you'd want to recommend? Um, you know what? Right now I'm reading Grieving Together by Laura Finucci. She's a Catholic author. Oh, yes. Okay. And it's about a couple um, – it's actually about her own story as well, but it's for it's designed to help couples through um, miscarriage, loss, um, and their grief process. And it's just been a, a wonderful gift to kind of take some time to not only read nonfiction, but also to kind of enrich – my understanding of loss from different perspectives to help myself and my husband and also the couples I work with too. And she had this really beautiful quote in her book that I highlighted in my Kindle and then took a picture of my Kindle because I don't know how else to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not that tech savvy, but um, 
She had this moment where her husband, Franco, after they had lost their twins, she said, in, in the raw weeks of early grief, Franco had a powerful insight that brought us a sliver of hope. Since Maggie and Abby, their daughters, were created out of our love, our grief for them could never be greater than our love. Mm. And as an engineer, he even had an equation for this proof. Love is greater than grief. Oh. And I just – when I read that, I just started to cry. I was just like, oh, this is like exactly – these are the words that so many of us are looking for. You know, we, sometimes we just feel like we're going to get swallowed in the grief. But if we cling to love, there's so much more joy that we can find later as we continue to heal. Yeah, so I'm really thankful for her book. She's um, She has a Facebook group right now this month, actually starting now until the end of the year to kind of give extra support to women and couples who've suffered loss to try and get them through the holidays. So um, oh, yeah, wow. I'm really thankful for that. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'll have to get that link from you because I, yeah. I think that'd be a great resource for, for people as well listening. Yes. So that's awesome. And then my last question for you is, do you have any mom hacks to share or something that's making your life a little easier? You know, I, you sent me this question and I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't, I'm not like a hack kind of person. Yeah. <laughs> but um, my husband reminded me of something that people bring up all the time when they see me. And he's like, he's like, what about your clothes tag thing? And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. He's like, people love that. He's like, I tell everybody about that. I was like, okay, okay. So I'll share this. So one of the biggest issues in our house is we have three boys and they're all less than two years apart from the guy before them, right? Oh yeah. Okay. And so we have all these clothes, all these (laughs) shirts, all these pants, and especially underwear and socks. And Mom does the laundry, but if dad has to help out with it or it gets separated somehow, everyone's like, whose shirt is this? Whose sock is this? Where does this go? And then right when dad thinks he's got it all down, this is Ryan's shirt, Ryan outgrows it and I give it to Sean. And then Sean comes out and he's like, dad, this is my shirt now. Why is it in Ryan's closet? So so I I was racking my brain about this a few years ago and I was like, okay, do I like sew a little tag into it? Do I like put some type of like a stitch in it with like a color coordinating thing. I wasn't sure. And what we finally came up with was I take a Sharpie and I put a dot on the tag. I put one dot for the oldest. And when it gets passed down to the next guy, I add a second dot. Love this. And when it gets passed on to the third guy, I add a third dot. Wow. That's great. I love that. (laughs) And and if if number two gets some new clothes, he starts out with two dots. That's fine. No big deal. But that way, everybody knows what belongs to them. And there's not like this 7 a.m. rush for clothing. Where's my shirt? Whose is this? And oh my gosh, it's just such a nightmare. So it's been working out really well, and it's actually so famous in our house now that my daughter has demanded that her clothes have four dots, (laughs) (laughs) even though all of hers are pink and clearly have not been handed down (laughs) from anyone. (laughs) Oh, wow. I I really love that. I was wondering where you were going to go with that because I think sometimes with initials, but then when it's handed down, you don't know. The dots, I think, are brilliant. I love that. Oh, the initials thing is like a totally separate issue. So I don't write anybody's first name inside a coat, jacket, water bottle, lunchbox, snack container, everything just has the last name on it. Okay. Yeah. And since I have four kids now in the school district, everybody knows who we are. You can't miss us. <laughs> <laughs> and so if, if they find something with the name Joyce on it, they know it comes to me. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I love that so much. That's really great. Uh, well, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a real joy to chat with you. And um you've given us so much information, so much great information to just, um, to think about and, 
Uh, I'm really grateful for for the time you've taken, especially in your busy month. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It was so great to talk with you. Great. Let me let me go ahead and close this in a prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of our fertility, for the gift of our spouses and our children. I pray, Lord, that those listening today may feel your loving presence in whatever they have ahead of them today, Lord. And we pray especially for those who are grieving the loss um, of a child, that you would be with them and bring them peace and comfort and just an awareness um, that they are not alone, Lord. And Jesus, we love you and we offer this prayer to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hi friends, I hope you enjoyed this chat with Nicole. I wanted to mention one other method of NFP that I forgot to bring up in our chat today, but might be helpful for those of you especially in the postpartum phase, and that is the Marquette method. It's similar to the Creighton model with cervical mucus tracking, but it also involves measuring hormone levels with a clear blue fertility monitor. So I think that can get a little expensive, but might be worth it for those looking for an extra indicator of fertility. And for those of you currently struggling with infertility or who have suffered the loss of a child, I wanted to assure you of my prayers, especially this month. For links to all the resources we talked about today, visit the show notes for today's episode, either right in your podcast player or at diapersanddisciples.com. And don't forget to share your favorite episode of the show on Facebook or Instagram to win a copy of the encyclical Humana Vitae, A Sign of Contradiction by Dietrich von Hildebrand and another little surprise. Be sure to tag diapers and disciples in the post. Until next time, you all are in my prayers. God bless.